0: Love, talk Radio.
1: Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL podcast and our Scares and Dares episode, where we review our favorite horror movie scare of the week, and we give you the NFL player prop bets we dare to make. My name is Sakun Wong, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Football Garbage Time. And with me, as always, for our Scares and Dares episode, Senior Staff Writer, Joanne Kong. How are you doing, Joanne?
0: Good. Hi, everyone.
1: All right, so we got plenty to talk about this week, so let's get rolling. Now, as usual, we'll start with our scare of the week, which this week was the 2020 movie Relic, streaming on Shudder and AMC+. Uh, Relic runs for a relatively brisk one hour and 29 minutes. As I mentioned, it's from 2020, had a limited theatrical release then, and then also went on to streaming. It is directed by Natalie Erica James, produced by Jake Gyllenhaal. I didn't realize that until I looked it up. Written by Natalie Erica James and Christian White, and of course stars Emily Lee Mortimer, Robin Nevin, and Bella Hewitt. It is an Australian movie, uh, so very interesting here. They're doing, making major strides in Australia in terms of the horror genre ever since The Babadook. Hmm. Uh, and maybe even probably before that. I'm probably not giving them enough credit as far as that's concerned. So as usual, we'll start with a little bit of a quick summary of the movie. Again, no major spoilers. If there are minor spoilers, we will alert you to that before we get there. And after that, we'll get to our picks of the week. So if you don't want to hear our movie review, fast forward about 15 minutes and you get our picks. But hang on in there and we'll give you a little bit of an insight here on the movie Relic which you can find again on Shudder and AMC+. All right, so a little quick summary here. So Kay, um, played by Emily Mortimer, and her daughter Sam, played by Bella Heathcote, travel to their remote family home when they receive, or, or I should say Kay receives, word that Edna, uh, played here by um, uh, Robin Nevin, uh, is, which is her mother and Sam's grandmother, uh, who has dementia, has gone missing. They discover that the house is locked from the inside and that a strange black mold-like substance on the walls are growing everywhere along with numerous posted notes all over uh, scattered around the household. So Sam is visited by a neighbor, Jamie, after they, rece- after they get there and start looking around, and who says that he had not been able to visit Edna for quite some time after his dad told him not to go back to the house. Uh, Sam and Kay grow increasingly disturbed a loud creaking and knocking from inside the walls and the appearance of more black mold throughout the house. That obviously would make me very nervous as well. Uh, The black mold and the creaking and knocking.
0: Oh, I think more the black mold.
1: Yeah, well, moving the black mold moving that quickly obviously makes me very, very nervous. (laughs) But creaking and knocking in the walls, typical haunted house stuff, I don't like it. All right, next morning, Kay finds that Edna has returned barefoot and dirty and unaware of her own disappearance. Kay has a doctor visit to examine Edna, and she's found to be mostly okay and without injury except for a mysterious large black bruise on her chest. Now, Kay informs Sam that she plans to move Edna into a retirement home, and that evening, Kay awakes to find Edna sleepwalking toward the front door and whispering, it's nothing. That's always disturbing. After being brought back to bed, Edna's convinced there's something hiding in the room and asks Kay to check under the bed. Kay's sees something, but is distracted by a dropped bull before she can investigate further, and she blames her mom, Edna, for doing that on purpose. The next day, Kay goes to look for retirement homes, leaving Sam with Edna. Edna gives Sam an old heirloom ring and then later snatches it back, accusing her of theft. And throughout the time that goes on from there, Edna's behavior continues to become more and more erratic as the black mold in the house continues to spread. So I'm going to stop there. I don't give it too much more away, um, and I will uh, kick it over to you here, Joanna. What did you think of this movie?
0: Um, I thought it was a really interesting movie. I I know they they categorize it as a psychological horror, mm-hmm. but I don't really know. It's drama,
1: actually. It, it was like slash drama. Yeah, I don't
0: really think it was a horror in the in the sense in of the
1: traditional sense. Yeah, yeah, horror.
0: I mean, just not you know, gore horror, not thriller horror. It's more, I think, of what they said, a psychological drama and, and very visual. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just not the typical horror movie. It's more of an interpretation, I think. And unfortunately, the interpretation of dementia is very horrifying. Yeah, for <laughs> so, oh, sure.
1: It's a horrifying situation, for right.
0: sure. So I think maybe that's why they put horror in there, but I don't know if I would call it horror
1: yeah and I you know I think that um and just semi spoiler alert you know it's it's kind of left to the viewer to determine what parts of it are real and what parts of it are metaphorical, in particular, what's part of
0: the black mold is real, and what part of that is metaphorical yeah I, I agree. I think the entire movie is up for interpretation. This is a thinking movie, this is not your casual viewing. You know, horror, this, this is not purely for entertainment. Type. Yeah, right. you're not, it's, it's you're not, not that to, kind of movie. Right, you're not yes. going go to
1: a bunch of buddies and some beers and kick back in some Doritos and watch this for fun. This
0: right. is going to be a deep talk movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's not a movie where you know you mm. leave for 30 minutes and you you basically know what's what's happening and you know another three dead bodies.
1: Yeah, right, right. This you is know, definitely not that. you're chasing the
0: killer, but yeah. it's not that. Yeah. yeah, it's
1: not that at all. This certainly has a growing sense of dread throughout the movie, and obviously that black mold is uh, in part representing this kind of, adva- not only the growing sense of dread, but also the growing uh, advancement of dementia.
0: Right, because basically they're representing that darkness as, and I don't think this is giving it away right. when you're talking about dementia, right. but a loss of memory and mental function. Right. And so as that grows, you're kind of, the the director is kind of depicting what Edna is going through. Right,
1: right. Through the, through the perspective from the viewpoint of, not Edna, but to the viewpoint of her daughter and her granddaughter. So it's kind of interesting because they're kind of mixing the metaphoricals, the actual. Yeah, the I think,
0: yes, I agree. Yes, I, you know, and that's what's interesting. It's like I interpreted it as what um, Edna was going through, and it's a visual display for uh, her daughter and granddaughter, like, the black mold. Like, that's right. how I see it.
1: Right. I mean, yeah. there probably was actual black mold there, too. But maybe not increasing at the you rate know, that we saw in the movie.
0: <laughs> I sometimes wonder if there was black mold there. But
1: there certainly was, like, a, a lack of self-care, you know, that was going on. So the house was was in bad shape. And the, and who knows? I mean, it's really unclear uh, if that was actually all real or metaphorical. Right. But certainly a lot of it was metaphorical. Um. So let me ask you, what did you like most and least about this movie?
0: So I think And I really thought about this because it is a very interpretive movie. And for that reason, I think what I liked most was the visual interpretation of what Edna is going through as she battles dementia. Right. So, of course, like we said, the black mold. And I don't know if this is giving it away, but at, at some point...
1: So, so semi-spoiler alert, skip yeah. a, 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 10 seconds if you want to skip. Um,
0: this. At some point, you, you notice that like she is uh, becoming more violent. She's yeah. chasing her daughter and granddaughter and, you know, in air quotes, a monster. Right. And I kind of feel like that was the interpretation of. You know, what could be said of what her daughter and granddaughter, like yeah. Kay and Sam, right. kind of see because of the burden and difficulty and frustration of taking care of someone who who is suffering from dementia. Right. Because their emotions are erratic. Right. I mean, they just switch like it's a switch where. Yeah. You like the scene with Sam
1: where, where she gives her the ring, but then she immediately like soon thereafter snatches it back and then accuses her of theft. Right? Yeah. I mean, that was obviously very frustrating. For for Sam,
0: right, uh, and
1: you could see that in her attitude towards Edna throughout the movie,
0: and also like the black mold that we talked about. I mean, just the visual interpretation of it, I mm-hmm. thought was a very good job.
1: Yep, I I agree. So and and uh and what did you like least?
0: So the what I liked least, and this is um I just you know it. it there's nothing wrong with this movie i think it's a really good interpretation but what i liked least i think was a particular scene so oh. i don't know if this is also a
1: spoiler okay, alert so semi mini spoiler guys uh fast forward 10 seconds if you want to skip this
0: but there is a scene where sam goes into her grandmother's closet and right. finds like a secret passageway and right. she goes in to look around mm. and the passageway starts i like you don't realize it in the beginning, but it starts changing. Like hallways yeah. change, like uh, dead ends where it was open before. The walls start closing in, and you don't realize it when you're first watching it. And you're like, "What's really going on here?" Right. And to be honest, I, 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 you know, didn't really um, like that. I didn't really like, like that scene. It? Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, I thought it was a little confusing. I, I do understand that maybe it was supposed to represent um, Edna's memories and how it changes and disappearing and this that and the. I do understand that, but when she first walks in, I didn't quite understand it, and then suddenly Kay and Edna are there too.
1: Right. So I, I think it was a little bit. It was a little bit confusing because they they made it seem like there was a physical passageway, which, right. they, which they alluded to earlier in the movie. Yes. Um, but it became impossibly long and impossibly confusing. So yeah, really so the scene
0: was very long and, and I, I just thought that particular uh, scene in the movie was yeah, confusing. Okay,
1: so I, what I liked most, I think I agree with you, was actually the way they depicted things. But I really did enjoy their camera angles. They did a lot of really close camera angles um, and they used darkness well. They didn't, over, they didn't use it in a way where you couldn't see details unless it was meant to be that way. Like the scene under the bed, there was darkness there. You were meant to see something there, even though it was hard to see. The other scenes in which they walked through the house and it was dark, it wasn't so dark, that I couldn't tell where they were going. I think they employed it uh, well, using candles and flashlights and all that stuff. So that kind of really imparted a feeling of claustrophobia. And I, I liked that, uh, that they did that. I also liked the fact that the house, they really represented the house in two different ways. I mean, it was both full of things and empty at the same time. So physically and metaphorically, Full and empty at the same time, and they had to depict that visually. And I think they did a great job of that uh, in the way they framed things by showing the significant amount of stored items like photo albums and personal trinkets and all those things, but accentuate how easily those things are cast aside. Uh, and the reason for uh, not and the reason not for nostalgia purposes, but for fear, uh, causing fear. You know, the fact that these things actually cause fear as opposed to nostalgia. So I think that they had to impart that. In the way they depicted it on camera, and I think they did a great job of that. And I actually kind of like the sequence that was in the closet, although I do agree that it was a little bit confusing, um, since it was, again, impossibly long and impossibly confusing closet. But it did kind of depict this navigation of this stored personal items and uh, while trying to avoid some unseen antagonists, and they kind of reflected the kind of anxiety one would feel when dealing with somebody with dementia, but also when you have dementia. So I thought that was kind of a, a good visual depiction of what they were trying to get across. What I liked least about this was that um, everything we talked about, basically, it was so metaphorical that it was really difficult to determine what was real, what wasn't real. Maybe that wasn't the point. Maybe that was the point. I don't know. But um, for those of you who like closure in your movies, you probably won't like this that much. I mean, I I find that
0: there is closure. I
1: mean, kind of. I mean, kind of has closure. I
0: I agree. The entire movie is is just metaphorical. I mean, you don't know what's real, what's not. Right. And, you know, like we said, is the mold real? Is it not? We don't know. Right. I mean, there's only just so many things that you could really put your finger on and say that's real. Right. So I I agree that, that it makes it hard, but I guess. You know on the other side like when you're suffering from dementia that's probably the way it is
1: <laughs> yes i agree i agree all right so give us a scare meter now from zero to ten zero being my little pony ten being i poop my pants uh what would you give it on a scare meter
0: so like i said i didn't really think it was horror i didn't think it was um scary uh the idea of it and you know people who've dealt with it i'm sure it's, it's very difficult but Scary-wise, I gave it a one.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So I went the other way on this because I thought that this the the reality of the situation, the inevitability of the situation uh, of the story made it very, very scary. Because on a personal level, it's like, oh, my gosh, that's going to happen to people. And that's going to happen to me or could happen to me. So I think a lot of this stuff makes it metaphysically kind of this dread it's metaphysical dread, so I gave it a seven. I thought it was like see. That's
0: really scary. interesting because of all the visual interpretations, right? That the director did, I thought it to be less scary because you could actually make sense of it. Right. Like if you if you can't quantify something, it's scarier. But because we see all these interpretations now, I'm thinking, yeah, that could be a reason why this could be a reason why, which makes it less scary.
1: Yeah. Unless you're the person with dementia, that's really scary. So I'm just saying. All right. So you gave it a one. I gave it a seven. Mm -hmm. We're on opposite sides of the spectrum there. Um, Let's go to Rotten Tomatoes. They have a 92% on Tomato Meter on 240 review. The critics loved it. Audience score, actually quite a bit lower at 52%. Um, Very interesting there. So maybe the audience wasn't as entertained, but the critics really, really loved it. Critics consensus is Relic (laughs) ratchets up. It's slowly building tension in an expertly crafted atmosphere of dread, adding up to an outstanding feature debut for director, co-writer, Natalie Erica James. Okay, so let's go to our star rating, zero to four. What are you giving this zero being the least, four being the best?
0: You know, I got to say, of course, the critics would like it because it's a visually interpreted movie and very artsy and critics love that. And I think if you're if you've dealt with someone going to with dementia or, you know, you're a caregiver, I think this movie you would probably like a lot. Very,
1: very impactful.
0: So but I I thought it was uh, really well done and I liked I liked the interpretations and the visual effects, and I gave it a three.
1: A three. I also gave it three stars, and I liked it. And, and interestingly, at the end of the day, I found this movie not so much scary, although that has that metaphysical dread of, attached to it, but actually profoundly and incredibly sad, you know, more so than scary. The, the fact that, you know, this, there's this kind of inevitability about it. Um, and I think that it's scary because that it's, Actually, an accurate reflection of reality in right. many ways. So no, I think that's
0: I, I agree. really what it, makes
1: it scary. It is
0: very sad, it's and and, it's not like, and it is reality, and right. I and that's why I found it less scary because there are a lot of things you don't know about dementia, especially and especially because everybody goes through it differently. There's right. there's no two similar cases because the only thing. The only people that know what's going in your head, going on in your head, is you. Right. That's it. Right. Right. right.
1: So it's impossible to actually figure exactly. out how exactly how feels? do you
0: right. figure out someone going through dementia, mm-hmm. what is going through their head? Right. But this was a good explanation of the potential that someone could be going through. Right. And I like that.
1: Yeah. No, I thought it was good. So anyway, that's the 2020 movie from Australia, Relic. Again, hour and 29 minutes. So nice and brisk. Great movie to watch. It is available on Shutter and AMC Plus in streaming. So go ahead and check that out. And that will bring us to the next section of our, uh, our our podcast. And I'm going to go ahead and hit the boxing bell on this one so we can move on. And we're going to go and turn to those prop bets we dare to make in week 18 of the NFL. So give us your first prop bet, Joanne.
0: So I picked Justin Fields at Green Bay um, for 203.5 passing yards, mm-hmm. and I did the over. So the
1: over for Justin Fields yeah. on 203.5 passing yards. Why is that?
0: So Justin Fields averages 201 passing yards for the season, mm-hmm. if you tally up all his numbers, which I know is under the 203.5 right. uh, estimation. But in week one's loss to the Packers, Justin Fields had 216 passing yards. Okay. And entering into week you know, 18, Green Bay's defense has allowed an average of 212.4 passing yards. Okay. So I'm just saying that I think, like, when you look at Green Bay's defense, how they've gone throughout the year, uh-huh. throughout the season, they've only allowed four people to pass to um, that, let them pass to uh, under 203.5. Uh Um, And that was in week three, which was the Saints, Derek Carr, did 103. In week seven, the Broncos Wilson did 194. Uh Week nine, the Rams, Rippian?
1: Yeah, Brett Rippian, yep. um,
0: He did 130. And last week, Minnesota Mullins did 113. Right. So only four weeks did the Packers allow less than 203.5 yards right every other week we have 18 weeks in this season every right. well, well, well we're coming on to 18 but right. 17 weeks right. everyone has surpassed 203.5 right so I'm just gonna say the Bears have been doing pretty well over the past you know the past uh, five weeks they've mm-hmm. had four wins one loss yep and I'm I'm going to say that I think Justin Fields could pass that
1: 203.5. All right, so Justin Fields over 203.5 passing yards. And I'm going to add to that but I, I that's because my first prop bet is also Justin Fields cuz I'm cuz I'm looking at his over under on rush yards this weekend and that's set at 55.5 and I am taking the over on 55.5 rush yards. Um and I think you're right. You know, keep in mind everyone that Fields is playing for his job here. There's been plenty of talk around uh, the Bears using their number one overall pick in the draft, which you're getting from the Panthers, to select a new quarterback. So you can bet that Fields will be motivated to really ball out as much as possible in a huge rivalry game against the Packers and Lambeau. And remember, as we already mentioned, they played the Packers in week one, which actually started to derail all the uh, the season for the Bears. The hype, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of hype there before that. So that really derailed everything. So uh, you can bet that he's going to be playing really hard there. So anyway, the Packers, So with regards to this particular prop on 55.5 rush yards, the Packers have allowed the third most rushing yards to opposing quarterbacks this season, as well as the fifth most rushing yards in total to opposing teams at uh, totaling 131.6 per game. While fields have been averaging 65.5 rushing yards per game since returning from injury in week 11, having overall the second most rush yards of any quarterback this season. So um, spoiler alert, 65.5 65.5 rushing yards per game, more than 55.5. So there's one, one point there. The first time Fields faced the Packers in week one, he had 59 rush yards on just nine carries, again, over 55.5. And, you know, just like I said, this is a huge rivalry. I just don't see any way that they don't use the lower leg in the cold atmosphere of Lambeau Field in week 18. Um, he's managed to beat this over uh, since he's been back from uh, injury and the uh, and the Packers can't stop the run when it comes to quarterback. So take the over on 55.5 rush yards for Justin Fields. All right, what's your second pick?
0: My second pick is uh, the Buffalo Bills defense against Tyreek Hill at 94.5 receiving yards for Tyreek Hill, and I'm going to pick the under. The under yeah. on
1: Tyreek Hill on 94.5 passing yards. Why is that?
0: So it's interesting because a lot of people feel that Tyree kill will surpass this without an issue. I'm kind of skeptical. Um, I know this isn't just any game. These two teams are playing for the AFC East division title as well as the two seed. (laughs) But when you think about it, the absence of Jalen Waddle is going to be, you would think would open up doors for Tyree kill, but Tyreek Hill doesn't fare very well against the Buffalo Bills defense. Okay. So, um, in uh when the last time these two teams met, Tyreek Hill only had let me see. Fifty eight receiving yards. Okay, that's fifty eight receiving rarely, rarely yards. That's you. that's really little. And so like and when you look at his um his record against the Buffalo Bills in twenty twenty two because of course this year you know, this season we only had one game. Right. He averaged only 57 receiving yards from the three times that they met in oh. 2022. Okay.
1: Consistent there. Uh, around 58, 57, 58 yards every single
0: time. So, and when you look at week 17, where Waddle was also out because yep. of injury, Tyreek Hill only had 76 passing yards. Okay. So you're talking about now you have a player that has problems against a particular defense, which has been very good. Uh And now he's also dealing with an ankle injury that I'm guessing hasn't gotten better since last week.
1: Or marginally better, at least.
0: So I'm going to say I'm going to pick the under. I'm going to say that he's going to have less than 94.5. Receiving yards. All
1: right, so Tyreek Hill under 94.5 receiving yards. Uh, all right, my second pick is Jordan Love. So Jordan Love, uh, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, uh, he has a passing prop of over under 246.5 passing yards. I am taking the under on 246.5 passing yards. Now Jordan Love, now Packers fans just don't come at me yet. Jordan Love has been really good lately. Okay, I admit that, but his pass catching options are still a little bit a little bit limited. Christian Watson, Dontavian Wicks, and Jane Reed all are coming off injury right now. He's gone under 246.5 passing yards in 10 of 16 games this season, including in Week One against the Bears. And since then, the Bears' pass defense has just been improving. They've allowed only 222 passing yards per game over the last seven. And I'm sure that Montez Sweat joining the Bears four games ago also helps with that. So I suspect the Bears will want to play ball control with their running game uh, behind Khalil Herbert and Roshan Johnson, both of which had great games last week, as well as Justin Fields, which I have the over prop on rushing, um, which should limit the number of possessions that Love has. Uh, the Packers may still win this game. In fact, they they're theoretically should win this game. But I do think that Love goes under 246.5 passing yards, regardless based on the stats and based on the, the conditions of that particular game. And that, my friends, brings us to the end of the show. So let's go ahead and hit the air horn on the show. All right, Joanne, give us your social media so people can follow you.
0: It's at Kung Fu for You on X, formerly Twitter.
1: All right, and feel free to come at her on her pics. whether she gets them right or wrong. I'm sure she will find a way to ignore you. <laughs> um, so as usual, thank you for listening and wasting time for us. You can, wasting time with mm-hmm. us, not for us. Wasting time with us. We're all wasting time, really. Uh, you can find me at FB Garbage Time on Twitter or X. You can find me at the Football Garbage Time page on Facebook. Uh, We'll be back next week with more horror movie reviews and prop bets for the wild card round. Until then, watch those horror movie scares, make those NFL prop bet dares, and enjoy your NFL week.
0: Good luck, everyone.